Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Ring, 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 ring. It's the ATO calling. It's almost at the end of the financial year and you're going to have to prepare your tax return after the 30th of June this year. This episode, I'm talking to Amy. She's a member of the My Millennial Money world. She's an accountant. She's not coming on the podcast representing any firm that she works for or anything like that. She's coming just as a listener to help us. If you do need an accountant, you can head to sortyourmoneyout.com click get help. There's a link there straight to our preferred accountants that help people all over Australia. We looked at themes in the Facebook group around questions that people asked around tax time. And this is why we do the episode before the end of the financial year. So you have time to get things in order, right? So Amy dispels some myths, talks about capital gains tax, talks about crypto, talks about working from home, all the good things. If you've got a rental property for the first time, what you can claim, how you claim it. And it's just really great to talk about this stuff because as much as tax is boring, well, it's fun to talk about it, right? We can't do this podcast without TAL. That's T-A-L. For TAL, supporting customers and their families through the claims they pay is the most important thing they can do. And you know what? Like when you buy any insurance, you're buying a claim. Last financial year between April 1, 2021 and 31st of March, 2022, TAL paid $2.7 that's a B with a capital B, in claims under TAL life insurance products to just under 40,000 customers and accepted 95% of all claims decided on. Decided claims are claims where a decision was reached as to whether or not the claim was payable. If you want more details on the exact claim stats, click the link in the show notes, head over to the TAL website. It's all there. Thanks for listening. I'm Glenn James. You're listening to My Millennial Money. Amy, thanks for joining us on My Millennial Money today. I've seen your name in the Facebook group. I knew you were switched on with this tech stuff. You came to our live event, I think pre-COVID in Gold Coast, mid-COVID, whatever we did. Uh, Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. People always say, I need to spend money because I can claim it on tax and get money back from the government. Can you please explain this and is it true? Is it not true? Blah, blah, blah. Of course. Yeah, this one can be a bit of a common misconception. People think I'm spending money on a business-related expense, work-related expense, and I'm going to get that exact money back as tax. That is not the case. So, the money that you get back as a tax refund is only at your marginal tax rate. So, as an example, you're spending $500 on something for work, you're on a 32.5% tax bracket, which is 34.5, including Medicare levy, you're only actually going to get $172.50 back. So really, at the end of the day, if you do need to spend that money, if it's actually required, I would spend it. But there's no point spending a dollar to save yourself 
34 and a half cents, really. Yeah, you may as well just pay the tax and keep the rest of the dollar, right? Yeah, correct. Hey, correct me if I'm wrong, and this is without notice, was there things in the tax law with like personal devices like laptops that you could buy for work and just claim the whole amount? Um, well, they did recently change the useful life of laptops to one year. Really? Or, well, it's two years and then with diminishing value um, depreciation, it cuts it down to 100%. But you do have to apportion it though for the amount of days. So, don't go buying a laptop on June 30th and thinking you're going to get a whole tax deduction because hey, you're only going to get one day. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There's a tip. So, and this is why we do these episodes at the start of June to get you prepped for next year. Hey, Hex and Help Debt, let's get into the meat. Um, how does salary sacrificing or making additional personal contributions to superannuation affect your HEX or HELP repayments? Yeah, this is a good one. So, when you make additional personal super contributions or your salary sacrificing, it's going to reduce down your taxable income, which means you're going to pay less income tax. However, for the purposes of HEX repayment, if you have a HEX debt, the ATO looks at what's called your repayment income. So, this includes your taxable income and then they'll add back any net investment losses, example, like a rental property loss, reportable fringe benefits, your reportable super contributions and any exempt foreign employment income. So, they'll add all of that together and get your repayment income, which you're then going to look at the HEX repayment uh, schedule thing and then you'll work out what percentage you need to pay. Yeah. So, that's that's a real trap. Now, if I'm being very crude, because some of this stuff like there's new people that listen and they might be first year graduates and they've got a really good income and they may be on a $70,000 grad salary and work or withhold for the first six months of the year, say around, I don't know, 4% of their salary as a hex uh, withholding amount. And then six months throughout the year, they say, oh, I want to salary sacrifice five or $10,000 to superannuation. So, work goes, oh, as far as what we tax you on your earnings, we're only going to withhold 4% of your repayment. And then when we do the tax at the end of the year, it washes up and the government say, you actually earn this much, but you haven't withheld enough hex. So, give us money, right? So, we're caught out. Yeah, so there could be a bit of a discrepancy um, in what your employer is withholding. Um, same thing applies for if you've made some extra taxable income that obviously isn't from your POAG job. So maybe you have a rental property and you've done a really good job this year and you've made a lot of money. That needs to be added to work out your repayment income. So just important yeah. to kind of keep that in mind. If you get a tax payable, don't stress. Like there could be a good reason for it um, and just be prepared. And if you really want to hedge against... Um, having a scary tax bill, you can always um, put your own contributions into super from your own bank account each month. And then at the end of the financial year, tell your super fund that that amount is a personal contribution. The super fund will take the tax out and then that amount you can just claim on your tax. So, you'll actually get a refund as opposed to salary sacrifice to super and work withholding less tax and you owing money. Yeah, correct. So, your taxable income is still going to be the same no matter what way you go about it, a personal yep. contribution or salary sacrifice. But yeah, it will just kind of help not having a unexpected tax payable. Awesome. So, there you go. There's a couple of gems there in relation to your HEX or HELP debt. 
Umi in the Facebook group said, claiming costs for working from home. What do we do there, Amy? Okay, so we've got a few different methods that we can use. So obviously you have to be working from home to fulfill your employment duties and actually incur expenses as a result of that. So the ATO has brought out a really good method called the shortcut method uh, for COVID. So you can use it between March 2020 and 30th of June 2022. So that method is set at 80 cents per hour and it's an all-inclusive rate. So you can only claim that. You can't claim any additional expenses. What are some of the expenses? Like if you, I think you're about to say the non-shortcut way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like what can I claim if I'm working from home? three or five days a week. Yeah. So we'll do the fixed rate method next, which is kind of in the middle of the three. So the fixed rate method is set at 52 cents per hour. So this covers your decline in home office furniture, your electricity and gas and cleaning. So then on top of that amount, you can claim additional deductions for your phone, your internet, any computer consumables, and then the decline in value of your depreciating assets. So your computers or your phones or anything like that. And then we have the actual cost method, which I guess is probably the hardest to work out, requires a few more calculations. Um, So under this method, you claim the actual cost, as the name suggests, um, of basically all of those expenses listed previously. So your cleaning, your electricity, gas, phone, internet, consumables, stationery, and your depreciating assets. Yeah. And would you say usually you would get a better outcome doing the actual cost method? Um, to be honest, it kind of depends on the client. So if you're kind of got a home office space that's directly for your business and you have a good percentage of, um, I guess, that space in the total of your house, you may be better using the actual cost method because you can do like your electricity and gas and stuff. But um, I find with a lot of people, the sweet spot's really the fixed rate method because you kind of get a bit of both worlds. You can claim the cents, but you can also get your phone and your internet. So how would so if I was using the fixed rate method and I was an employee and I was working three days a week from home, could I say and if I'll just get my trusty calculator, um, eight hour days for example, that's twenty four hours a week times point uh, five two, that's twelve dollars and forty eight cents a week that I can claim. Is that a fair statement? That is a fair statement. Yep, and then. Would I say like, because I work makes me use my mobile phone for work and would you say, well, my bill is $50 a month, would you then pro rata, like, would you work out like, well, there's X amount of hours in the month and then work out how many hours that you're using the phone at work? How would you claim the $50 a month phone bill in that situation? Um, so that is an option just to look at an hourly basis, but a lot of the time it's more just looking about when you use it, what are you using it for? So yeah. let's say you might, I don't know, you might use it a hundred phone calls a month, but 80 of them are actually business calls or whatever. So then you just apportion it on that basis. But just important to, I guess, keep notes of how you've worked that out. Um, also how you've worked out the hours that you've claimed just in the case the ATO does want to come and audit you just so you're clear and they understand what you've done and you haven't broken any laws. Yeah, fair enough. And if you are a small business owner, uh, you can head over to the podcast, My Millennial Business, subscribe there because there's going to be an episode there that Fabs will do with another accountant and talk about all the small business and the business stuff. But with Amy, we're just kind of focusing on uh, the employees from home. And I guess if you're absolutely lazy and don't keep track of anything, 
you might say, well, I work, um, so that's 12 hours, 48 a week. If I work 24 times 80, that's $19 a week. If I use the 80 cents an hour thing, I can just claim the $19 a week, $19, 20 and be done with it. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So even if we did the full 48 weeks of the year, taking off a month of holidays, 24 hours a week on the shortcut method, you're really still only claiming about $921.60 for your working from home. Yes, correct. But better than nothing. It is better than nothing. But I just want to set expectations. Like, don't think, oh, I'm working from home. I'm going to get a tax return of $5,000. Like, it's it's just kind of, you know, it's going to be $1,000, which is awesome. Um, at your marginal rate. So, not actually going to be $1,000 back in your pocket. Yeah, that's right. So, okay. So, yeah, if your tax rate was, we'll just call it 30%. And we'll round this up to $1,000. You're only going to get a return of that tax rate of around $300. Yes, you are. Mm, so, there you go. Shall we move on? We shall. There's a question here from Kaylee. How to claim profits and losses from crypto? few losses out there at the moment, let me tell you. I think so. <laughs> so, crypto is treated very much the same as shares. So, it's treated on a capital account. So, purchases um, you pick up a cost base for and then sales treated as capital gains. So, the capital gains are taxed in your tax return at your marginal tax rate. And if you happen to be one of those unlucky people with a capital loss, you have to carry that forward indefinitely until you make a capital gain. So, this doesn't have to be a capital gain in crypto. It can be capital gain on a property, capital gain on shares, um, but you just have to wait until you get a capital gain to offset it. So, you can also use the 50% CGT discount if you have held the crypto for more than 12 months. So, that's something important to remember, especially if you are making some big gains. That can really help. Um, And then one further thing is that transfers between cryptocurrencies are still considered to be capital events, even though you may not receive any physical cash in your bank account. So, example, you have some Bitcoin. Oh, Bitcoin's not doing well. I'm going to move it to Ethereum. You've effectively sold your Bitcoin and you've purchased Ethereum. Yeah, that's a good one to know. So, if I purchased $1,000 worth of Bitcoin and it dropped to $700, then I was like, screw this, I'm out of here. That $300 loss would stay on your tax return and then three years later or 40 years later, you could then use that capital loss to offset any future capital gains in your own name. Yeah, that is correct. And you must apply your losses first before you apply the discount. So, say in the future, you make a capital gain of 600, you apply those 300 of losses to it first and then providing that's eligible for the discount, then you'll discount the gain after that. So, if we go the other way, I bought $1,000 worth of Bitcoin and then it doubled to $2,000. If I sold that Bitcoin within the first six months, that gain of $1,000 would just be treated as income? Yeah, correct. So, no discount on that. So, you're paying your marginal tax rate on the $1,000. But if I held that and then after the 12 months, it was still worth $2,000 and then I sold it, that $1,000 would- effectively come into the capital gains tax uh, discount method. So, I'd only claim $500 against my tax return. Yes, that's correct. So, you'll save a little bit in tax there. Yeah. So, 
there's no real different. Um, people get their knickers in a knot with this crypto stuff, but it's basically just another asset. Yeah, it is. Yeah, cool. Let's move on. Oh, here we go. Speaking of assets, Julie Soccer, what income needs to be declared on shares? When you have shares, you will pay tax potentially when you sell shares and when you receive dividends. So just like the crypto, if you're selling shares and making a capital gain, you are going to have to pay tax on that. If you're making a loss, once again, you're carrying it forward until you make a capital gain elsewhere. And then for dividends, which is the distribution of the profit out to the shareholders, you pay tax on that at your marginal rate. If the dividend is franked, it means that the company has already paid tax on that profit. So you do get a franking credit offset. Um, And depending on what your marginal tax rate is, you may either get a little bit of a refund or you may have to pay a little bit of top-up tax because generally business uh, tax rate is 30%. Um, And then another just important thing to note is you may be in a dividend reinvestment plan or a DRP. In this case, you don't physically receive any cash from the dividend. You receive extra shares in that company, but you still need to pick up dividend income in your tax return for that amount. And then that amount is effectively your cost base slash the purchase price of those new shares. If I have to pay $9 brokerage when I buy shares or sell shares, can I claim the brokerage on tax? Not as a straight tax deduction, but it goes into the calculation of your cost base of the shares. Cool. So, just on that as an example, if I purchased $1,000 worth of shares and on the way in, it there was $10 worth of brokerage, so it was, we'll call it $1,000, including $10 worth of brokerage. <laughs> and then the same day, I sold the shares and had to pay another $10 of brokerage. The cost base would be $980. So I would have the, the cost base is your $1,000 that you're selling. That yes. You, that you purchased the shares for, including the brokerage. And then let's yep. just say something amazing happened that day. They went up and you sold them for $1,500 including your brokerage that you spent on selling them, then that's your capital proceeds. So your capital gain will be $500. Yes. Okay. So you can't just put your um, brokerage in your tax return as an expense. It sits on the capital side. Correct. Because the the shares are capital in nature. Yeah. Cool. That's cool. There's a question here. um, What if the shares throughout the year don't pay dividends? Do I have to tell the ATO anything like that? No, you don't. Though the ATO, they have their ways now. They know what you're doing and when you're doing it. So, they'll have details of you probably purchasing stuff, but no need to declare anything if nothing was paid. Yeah. There's a question here from Ali Marie. When do you start to pay tax as a sole trader and how do you calculate how much you need to pay? And this is a big one for those who want to start a business or, you know, do a bit of a side hustle or, or whatnot. And this might lead into the question here about, you know, side hustles and whatnot. But where do you start to pay tax as a sole trader? So the ATO has a little guide on their website. You basically need to look at whether or not you're treated as a business or a hobby. Now, they don't have, you know, a definite line of this is when you're a business, this is when you're a hobby. But they've got a few factors that I guess you can consider yourself or get your accountant to look at. Um, So a few, as an example, you have a business name, you've got an ABN you're intending to make a profit, 
Um, your business keeps records and account books. You have separate bank accounts. You operate from a business premises. You own licenses or you have qualifications. So things like that, they're going to look at it and go, well, you're actually starting a business and you've got a business going. So you're going to have to pay tax on that income. And I honestly think like if someone's doing their little side hustle and, you know, I bought a a pottery thing and a pottery wheel and I'm making some pottery from home just for fun and I'm selling the odd one on marketplace, you know, two a month or something like that and I do it when I can. Sure, probably a hobby, right? But if I'm like Glenny's pottery wheel, we're pumping out the pottery and, you know, we've got this is the stock and this is our Instagram and you can pay online and we'll dispatch it and all that stuff. Well, you know if you're running a business, right? Yeah, correct. Does sound like you are there with your little pottery gig. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a potter. Um, what would you say to somebody if they are starting a side hustle and they do endeavor to make a profit? So, as an example, someone might be just uh, working their nine to five. They might be in the 32.5% tax rate and they make an extra $1,000 a month. What do you reckon? What would you tell a client? that is a safe amount to keep aside for tax in that first year or so until they get happening? Um, So, yeah, I would just look at your marginal tax rate and kind of just put that percentage aside of what you believe your profit is. Um, Also, make sure you remember the HEX rates and add that to your existing PAYG income just in case you're going to jump a bracket. Um, But after the first year, let's pretend you do have the payable, you pay that. The ATO can generally send you quarterly instalment notices so this is just essentially a prepayment of the tax for the following year just because they would like to get their money up front rather than have you pay a year late every year. Um, so then that's a good way to kind of cash flow it and have the money going to the age every quarter. So then at the end of the year, you should not owe anything. Yeah, it's crazy. Like when you're starting a business, like those first couple of years, particularly if you're growing rapidly, like it takes a couple of years to get into the rhythm of paying tax because- you end up being like, as an employee, your work withholds tax every week. Well, as a self-employed person, every three months, the government sends you a tax bill. <laughs> so, it, yeah, it can be a bit tricky. But if in doubt, just keep 35% aside, <laughs> 40% if you really want to be careful because it's it's better to have money at the end of the year than... Um, to have a big tax bill that you don't know what you're going to do with it, right? Yeah, that's totally right. Though the ATO, you can negotiate payment plans with them um, to pay it off, you know, every month over 12 months, but you will be best to keep some money aside for it. So if I get, um, you know, I'm a professional podcaster, I'm an employee of my business and that's all good. My boss pays me and I get my salary every week. If I want to get a second job as a potter on the weekend, how does tax work on my second job? This is a really good question. I see it thrown a lot around everywhere. Um, So a lot of people believe that you're taxed extra just because you have a second job, but this is a myth. Um, You still will pay the same amount of tax. For example, if you're earning $1,000 a week at one job, then if you're earning $1,000 a week between two jobs. So the difference is because you're claiming the tax-free threshold on your main job. So, the rate of tax on that job is going to be a lot lower in comparison to the second job. So, does that mean on the second job, do they just take the maximum tax rate off you? 
So no, they'll just start at the next tax rate. Ah, yeah. Yeah. So normally with the tax-free threshold, it's about $350 a week is tax-free. So with that second job, they'll start taxing you at the first dollar you earn. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, when people go, oh, there's no point doing overtime or there's no point getting a second job, you just get taxed more. Well, no, because at the end of the year, it's like that big funnel that I always talk about. The money just what you've earned goes in and out the bottom, there's one little shoot and it says you earn this much and we tax that much. If you've already withheld more, you'll get a refund. If you haven't, you might have to pay some. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So, that's a good myth, that one. Mm. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk about rental property deductions for those who own a rental property. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, we're back. Amy, I've got to ask you a question. If I've got my main income and on the side I've got a side hustle or I'm doing my pottery business and I make a loss in that business, will that carry over to my personal nine-to-five job? It can potentially. Ooh. So, um, generally business losses are required to be capitalized and carried forward indefinitely until you make future gains in that business. However, there are some rules called the non-commercial loss rules. The ATO has a really good guide on their website that goes through everything. Um, But basically, there's four different tests that you need to look at. So, you must be in business. um, And then there's a second section if you're an accepted activity. So, there's different rules for primary production people or professional art people. And then there is a income requirement of $250,000 that you have to be under. Um, so, this includes your taxable income, reportable fringe benefits, reportable super contributions, net investment losses. So, example, your rental property loss. Um, and then also you exclude your first home super saver amounts and then you add back your business losses. So, basically, if all of that's under $250,000, you pass that one. And then there's four final steps. So, there's the assessable income test. So, your assessable income from your business must be at least $20,000. The profits test, 
The business has made a tax profit in three out of the last five years, which includes the current year. The real property test, the business uses real property of at least $500,000 on a continuing basis. And then the other assets test is when you use assets of at least $100,000 on a continuing basis. So this can include plan and equipment, trading stock, um, trademarks, assets that are leased. So providing you meet um, those tests or one of those four tests and then the tests above, you can use that loss to offset against your other income. So that might be useful if someone does have the side hustle, they've put a bit of money into it that year, they really tried to give it a shake and it didn't pan out and they're, you know, it's in their own name as a sole trader and there's a genuine loss there. But if someone started and set up a proprietary limited company, you can't take that loss out of that company and put it onto your own name, right? Yeah, correct. The loss will stay in the company. Yeah. And this is why like, you know, if you are starting a business and you want to do all that stuff, just go slow. Like, I don't think we have to run to the accountant and set up an elaborate company structure or, t- or a trust structure. Just see if you can actually get out there and make some money first and see if you can turn it into a business because you can always corporatize. So, it's just, yeah, any words on that one, Amy? <laughs> well, yeah, I don't see there's any point going and spending thousands of dollars setting up a company and then you set up a trust to be the shareholder if this is just like a little side hustle that isn't actually going to make you much money. Mm. Um, but yeah, if you start it as a sole trader, you're going well, book in, see an accountant and just get some advice because they may have a better solution for you. Um, but also, yeah, important to consider stuff like mm. asset protection and stuff like that, depending on what asset you've got and, you know, what your PAYG job is. Yeah. There's a question here and I was going to get to it right after the break, but I just wanted to swing back to that second job stuff. What are some of the typical rental property deductions? So there's a lot of people who have purchased a rental property and they've got good tenants in there and whatnot. What can someone claim as a deduction? Yep. So basically anything that you're paying in relation to that property. Um, So you've got rates, water, insurance, body corporate, land tax, gardening, um, repairs and maintenance, interest on a loan if it's financed, Um, And then if you use a property agent, their fees are tax deductible as well. Um, And then you've also got depreciation on any capital improvements that you make to the property or any assets that you purchase. Um, And then also if the property is quite new, you can get what's called a quantity surveyors report. Pretty cheap, like 500 bucks. You can claim that as a tax deduction too. And it will basically list out a bunch of depreciation for capital works and allowances that you can claim each year. If somebody was, if they just purchased their second property, can they claim some of this stuff on there? Like if it took two weeks to get a tenant and they did some repairs on the property before a tenant was in their paying income, like do you think you could claim that or do you have to kind of cross that threshold and have some income being produced from it first? Yeah, you really need to wait until you've had some income. So if you go in there and you think, oh, I need to rip up the carpets, put new carpets in, that's generally going to be an initial repair. So, you're um, doing that because you bought it like that. It's not because you've had tenants in it for 10 years and they've trashed the place and you need to get it replaced. So, that would just be capitalized, added to the cost base. Um, so, when you sell it, that will obviously reduce your capital gain slightly. So, generally speaking, if you had a tenant in the property and they called and said the tap's stuffed, and you send out a plumber and the plumber sent a bill for $8,000 because 
that's how much they charge. No, I'm joking. It was like a $250 bill, right, for their time and a new tap. You know, are you, do you put the, the tap as a capital thing or is it just because it's like such a superficial amount, you just claim it as ongoing repairs and maintenance? So the general rule is $300 and that's per person. So if you own a rental property between two of you, it's $600. If it's under that limit, you can just write it off immediately. So I just put that in as a repair to the property. Yeah. But if, um, for example, a tenant moved out and they trashed the carpet and you had to spend $8,000 putting new carpet into the property after you'd owned it for a year, would that just go in the general depreciation pool? Like, could you just claim- $7,000 $7,000 or whatever straight away the next financial year as a an expense on the property? That's a good one. It's a bit contentious, to be honest. Um, really? Yeah, we you have a lot of- here first, everyone. <laughs> we have a lot of debates in the office every now and then about stuff like that. It's hard, like if it's only been rented out for a year, that makes it a bit trickier. But if you've rented mm. it out for 10 years to a tenant, um, it's quite clear that obviously it's repairs. Um but then you've also got to look at what are you replacing it with? Like you rip out the carpet and put some new butte like flooring, hardwood mm. floors down. Then that's more of, I guess, a capital improvement to the property rather than a repair. Right. Okay. So this is interesting. Okay. So an example, I've had the property a couple of years, the tenants moved out, the carpet was trashed and I had to replace the carpet and it cost $3,000. It's like for like carpet. One would say it's a repair. I could claim that $3,000 straight on my tax return. Yeah, correct. I'd say that's a repair based on the yep. fact that you're replacing it with what it was and it's been damaged, obviously, by being rented out. But if we're like, well, let's um, let's get some Italian marble and make this a bit more bougie and spend $20,000 replacing the floor, you're saying that's probably more capital works. Yeah, correct. So that's an actual improvement. You're not actually repairing anything there. You're improving. And so if it was $20,000, you can't just instantly put that $20,000 on your tax return. There would be a portion per year. Yeah, correct. So you have to depreciate that. Um, so the ATO has a website full of their what they call the useful lives of assets. Um, and then that gives you the depreciation rate and then you'll apply that to the cost. Yeah, no, it's good to know. And even just like a lot of us are maybe have bought a, an investment property for the first time and we're wondering, you know, what should we do? Uh, but the thing I'm getting out if it's out of this is if it's general like for like repairs of equipment or maintenance, you would just put it as an expensable item. So if I've done my tax returns myself the last three years and I'm like listening to you thinking, gosh, I think I made an error. Can you go to an accountant or can you amend returns if you've made a mistake or something like that? Yes, you can. So you can do them yourself on MyGov if you want, or you can go to an accountant. So generally you have two years from the date of your notice of assessment being issued. Um, If you have a business, it's four years. Um, But obviously keeping in mind the ATO can amend at any time if they suspect any fraud or evasion. Um, Yeah, and you can also lodge an objection, though, if you are outside of those years um, and you do realise, oh, I need to include something, like I forgot income on something or haven't claimed this deduction, um, you can write to them and they will generally allow you to. Do you find that when you've got a client and they may have, and this is is going to be a typical thing, right? You might have been uh, just really uh, basic affairs, so- 
your income, nothing really to claim. You've done your own returns. You may have purchased an investment property, did your own return, and then things have changed. And then you've gone to an accountant. Like, do you ever kind of look at clients and go, oh, something's not right here last year. Let's have a look at that and and do amendments when DIYs haven't done as good a job? Yeah, we do do that sometimes. So, especially with rental properties, a big one is the depreciation quantity surveyor reports. So, sometimes we'll have a client come to us and they haven't had a depreciation schedule on it. And we will sometimes go back and amend a few years to include those deductions because they can be quite substantial uh, Mm. depending on the property, obviously. Yeah. Do you have any other kind of tips? Like if someone wanted to do their own return because they had straightforward affairs, like, would you say that, that there's some 101s, you know, just keep an eye out or be mindful on of um, anything if someone was doing it themselves? Probably a big thing I would say is everyone wants to be in a rush. First of July, launch my tax return, let's get my refund. But it's actually not really recommended to do that. So your employers do have, um, I think it's close to a month to finalise single touch payroll and get the wages figures right. And then obviously your banks need to report your interest. Um, If you have investments, you might need investment tax statements. Um, If you have insurance, they need to provide their statements. So it is really best to wait a few weeks, make sure you have all the information, then you can lodge. It just saves you from having to amend if you don't need to. Yeah. And if you've got like um, managed funds or any kind of investment products, like they might be waiting on other information and might not get you a tax um, statement for three months anyway. Yeah, correct. So, just kind of hold off and just wait and chill. Mm. What about, can you claim anything without a receipt for it? There is a few um, rules. HO will generally let you up to $300, but it is just best to keep receipts just to save you because, you know, $300 of deductions isn't actually really going to give you that much. So, I wouldn't just be claiming that just because you can. Mm. And what about, um, are there any things like if you're driving your car for work, can you claim a certain amount of kilometres without keeping a logbook or anything like that? Yep, that is correct. So, we do have two different ways that you can calculate car um, expenses. So, it must be important that the trips obviously are work-related, but this can't include you going from home to work because that is actually considered private by the ATO. Um there is a few exceptions though, like if you're a trade-in, you have to carry a trailer full of tools. Um, obviously, there can be some exceptions, but um, there's so the two methods, the cents per kilometre method, in this one, you can claim up to 5,000 business kilometres at a rate of 72 cents per kilometre, um, but keeping in mind, you do need to kind of keep records of how you've calculated this um, mm. in the instance that the HO will come back and ask you, um, and then you do have the logbook method, so this um, can actually be more beneficial for some people if they use their car a lot for work. Um, so this one, you basically will do a logbook for 12 weeks. You'll keep track of your odometer readings, where you go, why you've gone, where you've gone, is it work or is it private? Mm. Um, and then you'll basically add up a percentage based off work kilometres divided by total kilometres. And then you apply this percentage to all of your costs. So fuel, servicing, Rego, insurance, interest if the card's financed, depreciation on the purchase of it. And then it's important that this logbook is only valid for five years, but you must change it if you have a change in your circumstances. So you might get a new job, you might be working heaps more, do a new logbook, 
you may cut down to part-time so you're using your car less, do a new logbook. We like to release these kind of of end-of-year tax episodes like well before the end of June, so like the start of June. I don't know when this will go out, but I want to just kind of let everyone know that, you know, while you are putting your tax stuff together, like me personally, I'll ask how you do yours as well, Amy, but I've got a Dropbox folder called tax and it's got all the financial years. And then inside that folder, you know, for 2022 this year, I'll in there, there'll be a folder for my investment property. There'll be like, um, and I really don't have any other folders, but I've just got like donations that I've given throughout the year or um, when I get my health fund statement or my income protection statement or any other things that are material, I'll put into that folder. So just, you know, we are at the end of the financial year, but what can you do today to set up your next financial year? So in a year's time, your life is easier. And <laughs> and maybe you need to set up a spreadsheet called stuff I use for work and just log crap that's that you use for work. So at least you've got some type of record of, of it at the end of the financial year. Yeah, correct. What you do is great. Um, yeah, I do something similar myself. I mm. kind of keep folders um, on a USB and I put all my documents in there like every time um, I use my- USB? Account. You got to come to the Dropbox side. <laughs> <laughs> like every time I'm purchasing shares and I get the email, it's like, you've purchased this, I'll just drag it into the folder. Um, yeah. I'm a bit OTT though. I've got a bit of a spreadsheet going on with all Love my investments. It. So I can keep track of the cost basis, which makes my life a lot easier at year end. So, okay. So as an accountant, you don't use like share site for your direct shares. You'll just manually do that. Yeah. Look, I kind of do it myself. I feel like I have a bit more control over it and I've got mm. a few things, you know, international account here. I've got this account here. So I kind of just do it all mm. on Excel. Yeah. Wild. So there you go. Like one cool thing guys is like, I like the Dropbox app because it's really got a good scanning tool where you can just scan a document and it PDFs it and it's really good quality. Look um, at you, all tech savvy. Well, I just need it to be efficient. Like even, you know, if I'm in the work car and, you know, we're, you know, we've got to drive to do an interview or something like that and I've got to fuel up, like I'll, as soon as I leave the petrol station, snap, take the photo of the receipt, done, out of my life. Perfect. Because it's so annoying at the end of the year to have to look back at all your receipts and try and collect stuff. So, I've just kind of made the view in my life that I'll just do it as I go to make life easier. Future Glenn will thank you for that. Totally will. Yeah. Well, we might leave it there, but let's continue the discussion in the Facebook group. If you've got any questions about tax, put it up in the group. There'll be someone that will jump in and probably give you the wrong information because it's because it's the internet. (laughs) um, I I think the whole thing is to just be mindful that the ATO, it's pain in the ass because they expect you to do all the crap and then you get in trouble if you've accidentally broken the law, but they don't give you much guidance anyway. That's why we need people like Amy, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I'm still in a job. Yeah. So, and don't be afraid to pay for an accountant. Like, it's okay to pay for professional help because it makes your life easier. They help the accountants. They may help you with managing um, your receipts throughout the year, give you tips and tricks. And I know with my accountant, I have a end of the financial year pre-tax meeting. So, at the start of June, we just have a chat to see if we need to make some things. But just on superannuation, 
let's just, uh, Ben and Mel, Ben Hackathorn and Mel Clark, they kind of both asked this question, benefits for personal super contributions. Do you want to just talk about that? Yeah, certainly. So, we've got two different forms of super contributions. So, you've got concessional contributions, which these are considered pre-tax. So, you can claim a tax deduction for them. Um, this also includes your employer paid compulsory super contributions. So, these are taxed at 15% in your fund. And then obviously, you get tax deduction at your marginal rate for additional ones. Um, they are capped at 27500 per year prior to this year, they were 25000 And then you've got the non-concessional super uh, contributions, which are after tax. And these are capped at 110000 per year, used to be 100000 per year. So, if someone did want to put money into their superannuation fund this financial year, trust me, peeps, don't do it on the 29th because it can take a few days to process to and land and to be allocated to your account. So, Come the 20th of June, flip and get your payments done, people. Yeah, I'd yeah, be doing it mid-June because you don't want to just say you put in 15 grand or something. You're a day late. Mm. Your poor tax deduction has to wait a whole nother year. Yeah, that actually funny story. I'm saying this out loud for me. Last year, uh, last June, the last week of June, I made a heap of um, charity donations and my bookkeeper was doing the um, – because I, I basically do all my charity donations through the business or my trust because it's otherwise tax deductible and it's just – it doesn't really matter. It's just more for record keeping. And he did the um, June month and I'm like, dude, you're missing bloody uh, First Nations Foundation, A21, Life You Can Save, you know, all these different charities that we support and it's on our website and all that. <laughs> He's like, no, no, I did everything – I I was a day late. Oh no! I just, yeah, I thought it would process and it didn't. So I'm excited for this financial year. <laughs> <laughs> you'll get the double deductions. You'll get the ones from last year and this. Yeah, year. and I'm I'm going I'm doing another run this year in June. So I'm going to have like lots of like charity donations from July last year. Gosh, I was so annoyed because it's like, ah, oh, I'm the money guy. I should be over this stuff, but life happens and. Mm. You know, you make a payment and when it clears on the card, the Visa debit card could be a different date than when you processed it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's funny. People like, there was someone, you'll find this funny, Amy, like you may have heard on a podcast episode once that I accidentally had two Amazon Prime subscriptions and it's happened a few times, like, because you buy stuff and it's like, how did I sign up for that again? And someone's like, I can't believe he didn't know that he had an extra $5 a month for his Amazon Prime. It's like, <laughs> I'm just human like the next person. <laughs> like, Look, I'm not I above any of this. I don't get it. I'm arguing really? notifications but- every time money spends on my card. So, if there's well, something I don't. there I, that shouldn't be Well, there. I, I don't. And I'm, I'm out there breaking eggs and making omelettes, Amy. And if, you know- Spill a few omelets and eggs. It's part of life. Um, That's true. And also, I'm not your guru, so don't hold me in high regard, everyone. I'm just facilitating a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was it you? <laughs> <laughs> it was probably you that had a go on me. It was not. I would never do uh, that. No. no, you can if you want. But um, hey, it's been fun. If you need help with your tax, if you've got a business, if you've got your own tax, 
that needs an accountant, you can head to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help. We've got an accountant there. There's a link there. Um, Amy's here today as capacity as a member of the My Millennial Money Facebook group and a listener of the show and all that. And and that's just the thing. Like I'm in the Facebook group and I'm around. And if I see good people like Amy, who's plugged in, saying good stuff, you'll get a message. I will slide into your DM and get you on the podcast. And thank you for showing us your wisdom on the episode today, Amy. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 